Thank you very much. Uh, good morning. I'm well aware of the fact when you heard guest speaker, you were hoping for the Pope. Uh, <laughs> not the Pope. I, um, the mustard seed has been around Edmonton since uh, 1988. We are uh, in five cities, Calgary, uh, Medicine Hat, Red Deer, and Kamloops, as well as, uh, as, well as Edmonton. Uh, ground zero for the work of the mustard seed is actually a church on an old church building on 96th Street. And uh, we were serving meals there for almost 30 years. It, it ended around COVID. And uh, for a lot of different reasons, we decided not to bring that back. But for, for decades, uh, six meals a week at supper time, and about 300 people would show up, at, uh, you know, give or take. And uh, people like you would come, and many of you did actually probably come, and you would cook a meal, you would serve a meal, and then you'd maybe even hang out with the community afterwards. And it was part of how we served the poor and the homeless of Edmonton. One night was kind of a unique night when this meal was served. Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Earl. Earl's a great guy. Um, Earl is very demonstrative about his Christian faith and at times had no issues telling you exactly how he felt um, and wanted you to know that you should feel the same. And on one hand, it, it's, it's wonderful to see somebody so passionate about what they believe. On the other hand, uh, think about a homeless person for a moment who's... Uh, had no place to go that day, it might be really, really cold out, and is starving. The last thing you want to do is hear from Earl. You just want to eat. Um, despite this, uh, Earl was actually quite respected and appreciated by the community. Uh, this night happened to be Earl's birthday. And it also happened to be a group that would come in and decided that for dessert, they were going to give out pudding cups. Now, pudding cups are significant in the inner city. Here's the reason why. Um, and the main reason why is because you can take them with you. That's a midnight snack. That's breakfast the next day. I don't know if you know this, but even though they have expiry dates on them, they don't expire. <laughs> like, you can eat those suckers 10, 20 years later, and it'll be just the same as it was the first day you bought it, you know? So if you can preserve it and keep it with you, uh, that could be a snack a long ways away from when you got it. So, you know, for everybody that would come in and go, you know what, we, we really want to do the right thing and serve somebody an orange for dessert, they didn't want your orange. They wanted your pudding cup. So this was a special night. In fact, so special that those cups actually could be used as currency and often was used as currency. They were used for trade in the inner city. So on this night, it's Earl's birthday, and pudding cups are being served. One of the gentlemen who also was getting a meal that night came up to Earl, and Earl always sat at the same table at the same spot, said to Earl, I hear it's your birthday, is that true? And Earl says, yeah, it is. And he drops his pudding cup in front of him and says, happy birthday. A couple minutes later, somebody else walks up. Earl, is it actually your birthday? Yeah, it is. Happy birthday. Here's my pudding cup. Two turned into three, three turned into six, six turned into a dozen, and within about 20 minutes, there's a stack of 60 pudding cups sitting in front of Earl. Now, Earl's diabetic and could not eat any of them. <laughs> but that's not the moral of the story. <laughs> the moral of the story is this, there's no better feeling than belonging. 
And today's talk is about belonging to the kingdom of God, belonging to the kingdom of heaven, belonging to each other. My attendance pattern here at Beulah is very unique. I started uh, initially coming here in 1988. I was 16 years old. Uh, I, did, I was raised in a church. It was a good church, except I was the youth group. And so when I got my license, I said to my parents, I'd like to find a church that I can find some people that are my peers and um, share my faith. And they said, sounds good. I said, can I borrow the car? They said, as long as you're actually going to church, you can borrow the car. And so off I came to Beulah. Um, That was back when Beulah was still on 124th Street. I don't know how many of you were around back then. That's a long time ago. And there was this balcony on that 124th Street building, and that's where the youth group sat, and I sat amongst them. And one day, everybody's going for lunch, and I'd only been going to Beulah for a couple of months, and everybody's heading out, and I get stopped by an elder who happened to be a friend of my parents. And Mr. Petey said to me, Dean, I need you to wait for a few minutes. And I said, okay, not knowing what this was going to be about. And he said, look, uh, your parents don't go to church here. I said, no, they don't. He goes, but I want you to know that I, if you would like me to be, will be a parental figure for you here at this church. He says, you need parents, you call me or you call Gail. We are here for you. We want you to feel like you belong. Take a seat, you belong. What an amazing thing for somebody to do to a young man that was looking for a new community. I left in 1994 to attend St. Albert Alliance Church because the girl I was dating, who would later become my wife, said, if you want to be with me, you will be at my church. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, So off I went in 1994. I don't know how unique that makes me um, because I returned in 2019. So basically in the time I spent at Beulah, I identify more with Al Runge and Daniel Im as my senior pastor than that guy who was here for 30 years in between. (laughs) Um, Very unique. I came back in the fall of 2019 because of my deep respect for Beulah's commitment to Christ, that all may know Jesus, and in large part because of the compassion and social justice work of the church, which we just heard a little bit about. Um, You're a church that understands, we're a church that understands that how we treat the least of these matters, and that we need to um, be a Christian Um, organization, a Christian community that cares and respects for all. Let me read to you Psalm 23, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The occurrence here is so interesting. Um, In this verse, we move from God as shepherd to God as host. And as hosts, he invites you to sit. Come in. You have a place here. You're welcome here. You belong. And then he says, not only do you belong, but, but you prepare a place for me in the presence of my enemies. David, who wrote this, really refers to his enemies a lot in the Psalms. Um, and there's a, there's a great reason for it. I won't break this all down for you, but there's a threat to his kingship 
There's a threat to his life. He's in a constant state of war, of fear. He's on the run. So David's enemies are predominant because that is the environment in which he's living in. And he wants God to protect him from his enemies. But yet, in this context, he says, you prepare a place for me in the presence thereof. You don't destroy my enemies. You don't kill my enemies. You prepare a place for me in the presence of my enemies. Let me reframe being an enemy as it relates to the church. It's those from the outside who consider the church a place that would reject them. And there are a number of individuals and a number of community groups that look at the church and say, I don't belong there. They won't accept me. We have this drop-in on the northeast side of Edmonton um, called the Mosaic Center. And the Mosaic Center uh, has been serving people uh, for about 15 years. And one day this individual came who um, became interested in, in faith, became interested in Christianity. And at one point expressed a desire to go to church, uh, to be involved in some sort of faith community. And so the staff member said to him, well, you can come to my church. And he looked at her and he said, I can't go to your church. I smell like pee. He said, look at me. Look at my clothes. I haven't showered in weeks. They won't sit with me. They won't sit beside me. Her response was, you're right. They won't. So they created another mechanism for him to grow in his faith and to find community. But what a sad commentary that she knew that this individual would not be well received because of the way he smelt, because of the way he looked, because of his appearance. If the church is to reflect God who is hospitable to all, how would we react to someone sitting amongst us who is high, who is agitated, who is smelly? Would we stigmatize? Would we judge? Would we move away? We would, see, would we see someone to avoid or worse? Would we pity them? Or do we see someone with potential, with worth, who God deeply loves, who God values for who they are? Like God our host, would we invite the person to sit beside us as a brother, as a sister? Would we give them the dignity that they deserve as someone who is a child of God? In the kingdom of heaven, all who accept the invitation will be accepted. God the host invites everyone into his midst. We choose whether to enter or not. So should the church invite everyone into its midst can all find acceptance here. The second point is God is our protector. 
David turns back briefly to this idea that God is our shepherd, but it, in, it directly correlates to how God is also our host. The verse talks about anointing a sheep with oil, which is a rather odd image um, in this narrative, and it's a bit of an odd image in and of itself. But why it's there is so important, and it drives to a singular purpose. Oil was put on sheep as a deterrent from flies. Flies, bugs, love sheep. Absolutely love sheep. But they're annoying. They're an irritant. They bother. So the good shepherd puts oil on the sheep to protect the sheep from the things that would irritate, that would bother, that would cause annoyance. God is our protector. When we are fully seated in the kingdom of heaven, we are fully and completely protected. But here we hurt a little, don't we? There's sadness in our world. There's brokenness. And yes, there is incredible joy. And there's times of immense peace. But no matter who you are, it's a bit of a mixed bag. We all go through things. In heaven, in paradise, there might only be joy and peace. But here on this earth, there's brokenness. There's disorientation. There's times of incredible confusion. We run a recovery center in Kamloops. It has about 25 men that can go to it at any given time. And I was there a few months ago um, visiting Kamloops and talking to the individual that leads that program. His name is Jeff. Jeff himself was a former addict and uh, now does an incredible job of um, running this program. And it's so amazing. It's on the second floor of a building and, and they live in community together. Um, Jeff has a, has a whiteboard where he tracks how everybody is doing on the road to recovery. And so I sat down with Jeff and I said, Jeff, just tell me a success story. When you work in the industry I work in, you live to hear the success stories. I often say, the day I have done my job right at the mustard seed and now at UGM is the day when we have to shut our doors because there's nobody left to serve. That's success. Unfortunately, by that measure, we're failing a little bit. And so I said to Jeff, tell me about somebody that's made it. He said, Dean, about 18 months ago, and normally we only allow people to stay there about 12 months, he said, but this person we had to make an exception for. This guy came to us, and he had two things in his life, literally two. He had his addiction, and he had this dirty, ragged teddy bear that he clung to. He said, I've never seen somebody so broken so damaged in all my life. And he said to me, I need help. Will you take me into the program? So Jeff brought him in. And he began moving him through all the things. And there's a lot of things. And I said, where is he at today, Jeff? He said, well, he got his grade 12 equivalency. He's now a high school grad. He has his tickets, and with his tickets, he went and got a job. 
He said, with his job, he now has enough money that he finally got a place to live. And he said, but you know what? That's not the most amazing thing at all. And I said, what's that, Ben? Beyond him obviously being clean, what is even better than that? And he said, Dean, the other day he got his son back. His son, who he has been separated from for years due to his addiction, he's now back in relationship with. This individual needed protection from himself. He needed protection from his addiction. He needed God to intervene in his life, and God did. God provided him a safe place for him to grow, for him to change, and for him to be healed. What do you need God to protect you from today? What are the flies that are buzzing around? What are the annoyances? What are the things that are causing you to be distracted from living your life for him? What is the sin that is so easily entangling you? And have asked God to protect you from those things. The next part of this scripture verse is that God provides. That David's, David's um, analogy is that my cup overflows. Um, that God is our provider to the extent that he will overflow our cup. Like most things with David, there's allegory rooted in reality here. Have you ever wondered what David's cup overflowed with? So the picture I'm giving you is water into a cup. I don't think it was water with David. But his cup overflowed. The main message here is that God provides. Now, in our context, especially in our Western mindset, when we hear the word God provides, what do we think of? We tend to think of material things, don't we? And again, just, you know, this is coming out of my context, but like when I, when I hear someone say, oh, I'm so blessed, what they generally mean is um, their net worth. And some people will say, well, you know, God has blessed me because I've worked so hard. And depending upon the strength of the relationship I have with them, I'll often say to them, have you worked harder than a kid in Bangladesh that's working in a sweatshop to make the clothes that you're wearing? What does it mean that God provides? Because it's not wealth. That is not the measure of our blessing. The measure of our blessing is all the things that he gives us to get through, to live in presence with him. It's the shalom he brings in the moment of crisis. It's the faith he gives us when we can't see what the future looks like. It's the relationships that he provides for us when we're lonely. It's his presence when we most need it. That's the blessing. That's what God provided David, and that's what God provides you and I. If you ever want to see what faith looks like, hang out in the inner city. These are individuals that have faith for their next meal, that have faith that when they show up at the shelter at 8.30 p.m., there will be a mat there for them. That all their worldly possessions, which are in a backpack, won't get stolen while they're asleep. 
what do we have faith for? Do we have faith for the basic needs of our life? No, our faith construct is much grander and macro and larger than that, isn't it? But I believe that this is how God overflows our cup. It's not by giving us the simple things, it's by giving him himself. During COVID, we were asked by the government of Alberta to open up a number of temporary shelters, and one of them was a woman's shelter in the basement of a church just off of White Ave. And uh, it was for about 20 women, and it was uh, one of the most incredible things I have witnessed at the mustard seed. Uh, the team there, our team had set up like little partitions, and um, so the women got their own space, and they got a, they got a, a really nice mat, and then they got a little table, and a little chair, and a little mirror. Then there was a church group that volunteered to make blankets, and so whenever a woman came into the shelter, she got a handmade blanket, and when she left, that blanket went with her. So I went to visit the women's shelter, and men are not well-received in women's shelter for obvious reasons. Usually a woman is at a woman's shelter because of the abuse that she has suffered by a male. So when I go, I went pretty quietly. I mean, I needed to check in on things. It's sort of the job, but, you know, uh, my goal was to be neither seen nor heard. But this woman came right up to me, and she said, who are you? I said, my name is Dean. What do you do here? I'm the executive director. Does that mean you're the boss? Kind of. Let me tell you about your staff. Starts to tell me about my staff and the incredible work that they were doing with her. She told me why she was there. She told me um, how she didn't want to be here much longer. So finally I said to her, look, you wrote a date on the wall of your little kind of area there. Why did you do that? And she said, oh, that's the date I'm going to be housed. I said, that date's only two weeks away. She said, yep, I will be housed on that date. Your staff is helping me, and I've decided. I went back a few weeks later. She was gone because she was housed. Um, I'm about to move to Vancouver to work at um, Union Gospel Mission, um, which is right... It's in Edmund, or Vancouver Metro, but the majority of their presence is actually on East Hastings, which of course is ground zero for these problems across Canada. And part of the reason why I'm going there is for that very... I want these problems to come to an end across Canada. I want the homeless to be housed. I want the attic to recover. Um... I want to see these things end. And if we can end them in Vancouver, I believe that we can end them across the country. And most importantly, I want to bring Christ into all of that. We work so that we will be out of a job. So that there's more people like that woman who finds a place not only to call 
a place to live, but a place to call home. God provided her most basic need, a place to live. What do you need, God, to provide you? And then the last point is that God welcomes you into his kingdom. God welcomes you into his kingdom. There is a seat for each of you in his kingdom. There is a banquet table for each of you. And you are being asked to sit. The movie Antoine Fisher came out a few years ago, about 20 years ago. Um, Let me describe to you a little bit about what you're going to see. Antoine is angry and violent. Uh, His father died before he was born. His mother is in and out of prison, and he has no idea who his father is, doesn't know even his name. Um, Because his mother is in and out of prison and his father has passed away, uh, Antoine is in and out of foster care. He's homeless at the age of 14 and joins the Navy. Due to violent outbursts in the Navy, uh, he is required to have some psychiatric help, and that help leads him to begin searching for his paternal family. He finds out the name of his father, and he learns that he has a family. They learn that they have a relative that they did not know about. This is Antoine's welcome. Hey, what are you doing? I'm your Uncle Horace. Get out of the way, Horace. Come on, baby. Oh, oh look at you. Look at you. I had a baby. Oh, me, me. Oh, I'm your cousin Jeanette. Oh, come on. Get out of your Aunt Anna. How are you doing, baby? This is my wife, T. How you doing? Good looking. My cousin Eddie. My dad named me after your father. It's my brother Ray. What's up, dog? He's cracking. Hey, y'all, I'm your cousin Jason, man. What's up? All right, boys, open up. All right. Come on, Eddie. 
God is inviting you to have a seat in his kingdom at his table. The joyous welcome that Antoine had won't even compare to the welcome that you will have when you accept his invitation to sit. Belonging, community, knowing awaits. God is inviting you. Will you join the family? Let's pray. Um, Father in heaven, we thank you that you invite us all into your family. You invite us all into your presence. You invite us all into your kingdom. Some people here this morning online haven't received that invitation yet or haven't accepted that invitation yet. And so I pray that they would recognize that no matter who they are, no matter how distant they feel from you, that your invitation, your welcome is there for them. I want to give you a couple of minutes in silent prayer. And for those of you that want to receive that invitation, why don't you just pray to God and accept it. For those of you that are struggling to accept somebody into your midst that doesn't look and feel like you, ask God to change your posture towards that individual. For those that need protection, ask God to provide a safe place. And then lastly, for those of you that need God to provide for you, ask him for what it is you need. So dear Jesus, thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you that um, we are all accepted and loved by you. Thank you that you provide Um, Thank you that you protect. And I pray in the midst of all that is happening in the world today and all the things that are going on, that we would recognize that you are with us in all ways and at all times. Um, May our week be one where we see in each and every moment um, how you are there. In your name I pray, amen. Amen.